0: Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. Sorry it's been a while since the last episode. Well, I feel like I'm in confession. In any case, um, (laughs) I'm going to talk a little bit about a new combat system that I'm thinking about using for the Unchained uh, game I'm working on. It's basically taking from Wargaming, and um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. So we'll talk about that first. Then I've got a bunch of replies to my last podcast from uh, several prominent podcasters in the world such as uh, Joe Richter from the Hindsatlets podcast, Jason from Nerds RPG Cast, and uh, Carl Rodriguez from The Geomologist Presents. And then at the very end, I have a little bit of a rant about, I'm going to call it, my players wouldn't like that. So, let's do it. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Unchained again, <laughs> which is what this podcast is supposed to be about, right? And uh, this is why there was that little burst of me talking, and then I kind of rolled back because I didn't have much to say. So I've been looking, and again, this is kind of a two-pronged thing for anybody who's been following it. We've got original Dungeons & Dragons with Chainmail. So effectively, the three little brown books, Chainmail, with the three combat systems, these are the things I've been talking about a lot. This is what I'm incorporating into my main, we'll call it the main RPG that I'm crafting here. And it's working great. We have characters who are, we'll say, fragile and have to struggle at the beginning, who fairly quickly become more heroic and powerful. And when you've put two or three months into playing your character, it seems like they're a little more sturdy, right? I mean, they can still die, obviously, but that's building up. And I like that. I actually like where it's going. And I like that you can still use low hit dice monsters against them, but just do it in groups. I feel like that's really fun. They can run armies. Everything's good. The one thing that we haven't really played into a lot yet, because nobody is really high enough level except for one character, is the fantasy combat. So fantasy combat is one of those things that in the playtesting of it, the original where I was just doing little scenes to use it, I was really excited about. I like the idea that it is so narrative-based. I love the idea that nobody can kill a dragon except for a hero. You've got to be a hero to kill a dragon. A hundred regular men can't kill a dragon. Hero, they can do it. (laughs) They'll have a hell of a time, but they can do it. This is a big core part of what I love about this system. However, what I'm learning when I'm going... Now I'm going to jump over to what I'm calling Unchained. I'm calling them both Unchained. This is going to be confusing. But the sword and sorcery version, the one where everybody's a hero... I, you know, I'm looking at the, the thing, right? If you think about these Conan stories, a lot of them anyways, he's got a lot of political intrigue, he's got a lot of fighting of men, all that stuff that's working beautifully. But then he fights a giant ape, or he fights some kind of a demon thing, or a sorcerer. Now, if we're going to use the fantasy combat table, which was my original plan, and we look at the hero on that table, they're really kind of weak, it makes it really difficult. I mean, they're strong in the sense that they're the only ones that even have a chance. If you're looking at od and and I guess the same thing here, but the, they're just not going to be able to win. Like, So what I've been doing is putting them against effectively equivalent ogres, and i am just been changing the, the, the vibe of it a little bit, but effectively what everybody's fighting is ogres. And I think that then things start to become maybe a little bit boring. Also, I look at it and I say, well, hold on. You got Balrog, you got Dragon, you have Elementals. You've got all these things that Conan's not really ever fighting. So I'm not even going to use most of those things. So what is my solution? Should I just remove that? I'm finding that even the troop combat, which I really like, of course, the, the abstracted combat that I really like in ODD that I use a lot, I find that even that I want to pull back away from. I feel like in the sword and so Sorcery version, we want that real particular you're wearing leather armor against a pike kind of feel. So what do we do for things like animals, or if they're going to fight a bear or a giant snake or a demon? Well, I've been messing around a little bit with wargaming, which is interesting, obviously, because that's what Chainmail is. But in the idea of a combat results table, this is pretty common in a lot of these wargames. I've been looking at these smaller pocket games, the what they call uh, hex and chit type games. I'm not sure about the miniature wargame. That might be a little different. And what you got is this idea that you are looking at a ratio. So you might have five warriors against two. So that would be a five over two ratio. And then you look at the closest thing to that on the chart. You roll a d6 and you've got you know any number of results that could be anywhere from the attacker dying, the attacker being driven back, the attacker being wounded, both sides being wounded, the defender being wounded or driven back, or the defender being killed. I thought to myself, this might actually be interesting. So today I did the very first test of this. I had my friend Crystal log in with me online. We ran a quick module. Now, in the test, I decided to just have all the combat use this table, even against the minion-type people, because I just wanted to see how it would work. But as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, this might be perfect for when our sword and sorcery person fights something that can't be quantified with weapons. That is... They fight a bear, they fight a giant ape, they fight that huge serpent, they fight a demon. And we figure out, okay, this demon is the equivalent of five men, or six men, or ten men, or whatever you want to call it. And now we can look at it and say, okay, we've got our hero, who's the equivalent of four men, and then maybe they're fighting with uh, the assassin or the seer helping them, you know, one as two men and one man, you know, each, and now you're looking at, you know, nine men there, and maybe he has 10 fighters with him, and now we've got 20, right? So now the hero can surround this thing and 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 beat it. Now, yes, it does set up a situation, unlike D&D, where regular enough regular people could kill the demon, but I think that's fair for a sword and sorcery thing. I think a lot of things that Conan fights are powerful because people don't stand up to it. If enough regular men fought the giant ape, they would beat it. It's just that they're too scared, you know. They they don't want to stand up to it. So the uh, so Conan has to do it. So I feel like that's a big part of it. You know, morale, which I think is a big part of this game too. i got to really work the morale system more. So with the initial test, I'm really liking this. I like the idea of this CRT uh, combat result table. Effectively, it's going to allow me to say, okay, Conan is the equivalent of... I'm calling the hero Conan here. The hero is equivalent to four men. If they fight a single man they are going to be 4 to 1 odds, which means they're pretty much always going to kill them. And that's pretty reasonable. If they fight somebody at equal level to them, they've got about a 50-50 chance of anything happening. If they fight multiples of of people, then maybe the, the, the tide will turn. But when you get into larger combats, 100 men or 50 men or whatever, then we're going to still use the troop or abstracted combat that we've always been using. So I don't think that's really going to be an issue. So this so far, the CRT table is working for me. I'm going to do a little more experimentation with it, and I guess I will let you guys know how it works out.
1: Yo, Daniel. So to answer the question you asked about uh, game design and how important that is to folks. So for me, I look at all games in terms in terms of accessibility because I, I have to. Uh, And so a thing that would make my life so much better is if designers would put out, when they put out their really fancy, beautiful looking PDFs and books, if they would also include just a plain text version, no images, no nothing, just a plain text version of the game, that would be amazing. (laughs) But, But nobody does that, right? In my mind, that's a super easy thing, but I don't know, maybe it's not. Maybe there's a reason nobody does that. Uh, but yeah, man, you know, because it all comes down to find that balance between accessibility and aesthetics. So, anyway, man, that's my thoughts. Take it easy. Have a good one, and peace out.
0: You know, I, I'm I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised that that's not actually a thing. You know, I would think that that people would produce you know accessible versions of the games. And, uh, well, I mean, (laughs) I don't know how many things that I will ever produce, but, um, if I slash when I put out my, uh, my system, I will 100% do that. A plain text version with accessibility, that's super important. And, uh, yeah, it sucks that companies don't do that. Oh, as kind of an afterthought, I'm remembering that, uh the one, well, I guess one of the two products I have on Drive, the RPG that I made uh, as part of a, st- a class I took through the Storytelling Collective. And uh, one of the chapters in the kind of uh, uh, producing and uh, distributing your adventure is on accessibility. So hopefully this is coming uh, to become, or going to become a more common thing. Um, maybe at least with the indie designers. I don't know. That um, You would think though, again, I'm surprised that the bigger companies don't just automatically do this.
2: Hey Daniel, Jason here. As far as form function fighting ogres goes, I don't think that combat's unbalanced having however many ogres it was fighting your fighters. Because like you say, it's a it, you know it's supposed to be a heroic game. And I love that OD&D lets you do that. And I'm sad that I haven't been able to play OD&D with you yet because my schedule sucks. But yeah, I don't think it's a disconnect because there's still the chance those players are going to die. So, so I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, in theory, too. The other thing is, OD&D to some degree gives you the chance of that single dagger blow killing a fighter, right? If now this changes if you institute your your death save mechanic you talked about in a previous show. Although even with that, there's a the chance. But since really all the fighters have to do is take their hit dice in damage, right? It's possible you could kill them with a single blow.
0: This is 100% true. Uh, you can definitely still die. I mean, I have, I remember the very first test I ever did, I put a, uh, I guess it was an ogre, an ogre against a fighter, and he literally needed to kill this fighter. He needed to roll four sixes on his four six sided dice. And the very first roll I made was four sixes, and he killed the hero. So, yeah, it's definitely possible. I mean, you're a peasant with a dagger, is not going to be able to kill a hero. But I think that's okay as well. I, I feel like that's that's part of the heroic game that that's not going to happen. But that that also means that you can't do what they seem to have done in a lot of modules in AD in and D, and maybe in Basic Two. I haven't actually played that many basic modules where like your you know your bartender is a fourth level ranger. Like I, I think in my world and in my rules, I generally this is also true in astonishing swordsman campaign I'm running. Ninety nine percent of the people they encounter are zero level or first level or how you want to put it so yeah most people are not going to be able to kill a, a fighter with a dagger uh, with one blow however um, they could with a two handed sword of course when I say a fighter there I mean a fighter beyond first level uh, you know at first level everybody's one hit die so sure a dagger could very easily uh, kill anybody so and, and I think that that's the way I like the world you know even a lot of your um, kings and stuff might actually if they arose there through political power or being born versus uh you know, claiming the lands through uh, combat, they might actually be first level. So a, you know, a fighter with a dagger might be able to actually stab the uh, the evil king, even if he's wearing plate mail armor, if that fighter is, let's say, heroic at like fourth level.
2: As far as beautiful games, most of my games sit on the shelf. <laughs> so that's not really a fair thing, I guess. Um, the Solomon Kane game that you know, Pinnacle put out for Savage Worlds is a beautifully illustrated book. Great book. I, I, I'm glad I have it. I, I, I mean, so many are beautiful. I mean, that one just pops to my mind. But but so many, and I like the art style. I especially like the art in the older games, of course. I, I, I like those early TSR games. I like that art style. Um, but, yeah, I, I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of games now, art is an integral part of that game. I like like look at Runehammer stuff. I really enjoy his illustration style and it's nothing crazy, but it but it's just nice, you, you know? And and I just enjoy flipping through those books. But in the end the art doesn't sell me on a game. In the end the game mechanics are what's important. In the end how the game runs and flows is what's important to me. I mean, look at Barbarian's Lamoria. The the art in those games is, is okay, I guess. You know, I've never really paid that much attention to it aside from the cover art. And and honestly, the cover art, I prefer the the legendary one with the, you know, topless lady there just because I think that fits the sword and sorcery genre. Is it sexist? Yeah, but, it, but it's what the, the genre you're emulating is. Although I do really like the French one where it's got the creature like the adventurers are outside the mouth of a cave, and this creature's kind of like peeking out of the cave at them. I think that French bar- 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 yeah, Barbarians and Moria cover is really cool as well. But, yeah, you know, art doesn't sell me on a game. It, I, I think it's nice, but I don't when I page through RPG books, it's to look at the mechanics and stuff, not to look at the pictures. That said, I'm not the most visually oriented guy, right? I mean, I know what I like, and I know what I don't like, and there are definitely things I don't like, but like I say, art doesn't sell something for me. It's like movies. I can watch, yeah, a better presented movie is great, like The Northman. No spoilers, but it's such a beautiful film. It's filmed so wonderfully and beautifully. It's gorgeous. You go just to see the scenery. Actually, make sure you can handle the gore before you go, but, but it's a, you know, it's a beautiful film. But compare that to other movies I like that are horribly low budget B movie productions that look like crap. And I enjoy those movies too, for different reasons. But I don't mind watching something with lines that are going across the screen, or, you know, that doesn't take me out of it. If I enjoy the product otherwise, the presentation doesn't kill it for me.
0: Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying uh, about the movies. Uh, <laughs> it just—I was thinking as you were saying it that I feel like maybe some B movies, like particularly, are bad on purpose. Maybe I'm wrong about that, or maybe that was a genre of movies that came out after they saw success of certain like really bad movies. You know, bad meaning like not shot well and this kind of stuff. Um, I almost feel like it's—it's it's kind of like a thing in and of itself, right? That it's purposefully done to create a certain feel when you're watching it. But I could be wrong about that. Because, again, the the design doesn't have to be good design uh, in the sense that, um, again, if you look at something like, uh, I'll use the two I used before. If you look at OSE, which I think most people would argue is a really well-designed book, really easy to reference, really clean. And then you look at something like Morkburg or, uh, uh, what's that, Velvet Horizon monster book uh, with uh, Scrap Princess and Patrick Stewart. Like, that. those things are... are they, I you know. When you first look at them, they're almost like a, a shock to the eyes. They're almost like they almost look unusable because of their their look. I mean, as you kind of go through it, I mean, they're they're, they're very usable, of course. But um, you know, sometimes that's an aesthetic, right? This kind of messy, chopped up uh, aesthetic can also be part of the design, right? It sells you on this like indie zine feel because it looks very homemade and put together. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's super interesting. Uh, I don't know. I think I am a visual person. <laughs> So I'm often drawn to things by the way they look. So uh, maybe that's why I look at it that way. But uh, I've just noticed it more and more as I'm looking at more and more games, like just how they seem to be super designed and not. And, and you and you hear people who do uh, reviews and look at things and they, they comment on that stuff. You know, oh, you know, this is easy to look at or it's got good art or whatever. So yeah, I I, yeah, I think it's interesting. But I agree with you. For me, it's it's uh, in the end, it's about how the game runs. But I wonder if it's a pain to figure out the rules because the design is not well presented or because they're not well presented in the design. I wonder if that then works against you. So, I don't know. It's super interesting. Anyways, I think I think these kind of topics are kind of fringe on what most people talk about, I guess, in the RPG world. But I just thought it was kind of, it was on my mind, if you will.
3: Hey, Daniel. I've been catching up on your podcast. And I really thought it was cool. And I thought you gave it really good summary of your GaryCon experience. One of these days I'd like to go to GaryCon. It seems like a lot of you are able to go, but I'd have to convince my wife because that's the same week usually as our anniversary. So we'd have to figure out um, how to get her to go and game for our anniversary. I don't know how likely that would be, but hey, at least wherever it is, maybe it could be fun to go to or hit Chicago where she's from um, and spend our anniversary there. Anyway, I really enjoyed, especially uh your take on Star frontiers. I thought that um I mean I have like a box set of both that and the Nighthawks, and I've always wanted to run all the way through the Volturnus saga or well, I have it, but um yeah, it'd be great to see or get together to do that I like
0: thanks carl i uh <laughs> Yeah, maybe, I, maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll run it. You know, I'm looking at something. I don't know. Maybe you have experience with this because I feel like, again, because I think Star Frontiers, for me anyways, has a certain tactile-ness, if that's a word, that I want to reach into that I don't think we really did as kids. I don't remember really doing it. But as an adult, I see it. Um, maybe there's something called Tabletop Simulator that I'm going to look at because I think the idea of moving the little pieces in the squares and stuff is important to – the play style of Star Frontiers is I'm kind of seeing it um, and making it not feel like, like I said, d and space, which again is not a bad thing, but I, I think that's part of it. It's funny, I was also, I don't know if I said this in the podcast, I also busted out my Boot Hill box set. And I remember, like, we played Boot Hill all Theater of the Mind, and you know, we were ranchers and we did all these gunfighters and all that stuff. But when you look at Boot Hill, it's got a big map with little squares and little tokens and stuff, and yeah, it's it. it you could run it almost like a mini war game. So uh, it's interesting that some of those earlier TSR games had that vibe, I guess, coming from the the war gaming uh, background. Even you know, five six years after TSR had created D anD D and started moving toward more towards what you'd call RPGs. So yeah, super interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking uh, this Gary Con somebody got married at it, and maybe you could do some kind of. Uh, anniversary uh, party. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you're kind of a celebrity, right? So, you you know, uh, you might be able to get the Luke guy uh, gags reach out to him, say, hey, Luke, you know, we want to do a, a, you know, a, a, what do you call it, renewal of vows or something. But you'll probably have to dress up, you know, maybe like a like a tiefling or something. I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, yeah, it'd be great to uh, to game with you at GaryCon. I guess uh, North Texas is also, I've met a few guys uh, from that con and that 's closer to you, I believe, and uh that um that that seems like a great con too, so i got to make my way down there at some point i'm definitely uh feeling the need to do some more cons. I really enjoy just kind of getting out there and meeting new people and trying different stuff and seeing how different people run games so thanks for calling so i 'm sitting here listening to various podcasts and other things and reading blogs and YouTube videos like I usually do about d and d and I I don't know if it's just I'm noticing it more now, but this is probably the case, but I see more and more people or hear more and more people say things like, well, that's not a good mechanic or whatever, because my group definitely wouldn't like that. Now, when they say their group wouldn't like that, that makes me think that they never suggested it. Also, it makes me say that if you're the GM and you come into it with the idea that, oh, my group's not going to like that, then of course they're not. It's like, you've got to think of it, not to say gamers are like children, but you've got to think of it like a child, right? If, you, if you're you like, ooh, have this gross spinach, obviously the baby's not going to eat it. But if you say, ooh, yum, yum, try it, then they'll at least try it, hoping, thinking it's delicious because you're saying it is. And, you know, of course they might still have an opinion they don't like it after that, but at least they'll come into it with a positive light. I feel like a lot of times these mechanics like mapping, tra- tracking ammo, uh, Wounds and scars, various things we've all talked about that people just say they wouldn't like. I feel like a lot of times they just never really actually tried them because in play, it's typically not nearly what people think it is. I remember I was talking once about somebody that they were like, oh, well, you don't bother tracking torches. And I'm like, I do track torches. You just don't see me doing it because it's so easy for me to track torches. You move. I make a check on the sheet. When it reaches six, the torch goes out. This is not hard to do. You know, same thing with the Wandering Monsters. This is all very easy to do from the GM's point of view. It's just, it's a turn sequence. Same thing with the players. If they shoot their bow, they're picking, they're looking at their sheet, they're rolling their thing, they make a a dash on their sheet. When they run out of arrows, they run out of arrows. It's not a big deal. Um, You know, you could... You could look at it like that, but I just think it's really interesting because people use that kind of phrase. I don't think my group would like that, or I know that my group wouldn't like that. My group doesn't like these kinds of things. And that's exactly the reason why Was a lot of times people are like, I want to try some different types of games, but my group never wants to try anything but 5e. Well, it's all about how you're pitching it, you know? Because <laughs> I can say that I've taken many a gamer who's only played the more modern games, Pathfinder mostly, but also 5e, and brought them into OSR, and they've enjoyed it. They stole, Not that they stopped playing Pathfinder or 5e, but they enjoy the OSR games as well. So I think that it's all about how you approach it. When you're dealing with the new people and when you just come up and say, well, my group wouldn't like that. Now I wonder if it's just you don't like it and you're projecting it onto your group. So this is not anybody in particular, but I just put that out there because I thought it would be very interesting because I've found it very interesting. And, um, you know. I had to stop there because my voice was getting a little funky. Sorry about that. Um, you know, and I just thought uh, I would just put that out there and let me see what you guys think. Do you Am I completely wrong? Are you like, no, no, I know what my grip likes? Or are you like, oh, you know what, maybe you're right. Or are you somewhere in the middle? Like, no, I say wouldn't, but I've actually tried it. I'd be curious what people think. Go ahead and call in. I'll put on my uh, flame shield so I'll be ready and to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, thanks everybody who called in. If you guys have any comments or thoughts about these things, go ahead and leave me a message on Anchor and I will try to update this more frequently. I can't say sending me messages will make me do it because all the messages I played in this episode, I got like within a day or two of the last episode. I've just been slacking, but I promise I'll put out more episodes soon if people are listening. So until next time, keep on gaming. That's my new outro. Let me know if that's cool or not.